Hello and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. Now it's time for Kit Corner, where we shine a spotlight on artists who've created products with the film and television industry in mind. Products designed by artists for artists. Hi, Georgia. Hi, JL. Now, Georgia, you're sharing a product with us today that I myself use every day on set and am thankful I have it in my life. It is the Linear Standby Belt, also known as LSB. So where did the idea come from for the LSB range? Okay, so Linear Standby Belts came about as I was tired of lugging around an overfilled, heavy shoulder bag. I'd done that for years Mm -hmm. and I'd had endless pain in my neck and my back and my shoulders. I was getting massages and, you know, seeing physios and all that sort of thing. And I just was sick of rummaging around looking for things on last looks in just a massive bag. I was actually hiking the Milford Track in New Zealand and it registered to me whilst I was wearing a very heavy backpack that our hips are designed to carry weight. Mm. So the shoulders are made up of lots of fine muscles which fatigue really easily but obviously our hips are supported by our legs which are a much larger muscle group. I felt that a customizable tool belt for hair and makeup artists had to be the way forward and when you think about you know how many decades it's been working for builders why not us yeah yeah it makes total sense yeah so I designed it that it consists of a padded belt with easily interchangeable pouches so it offers a wide range of on-set solutions depending on your needs so whether you are a hairdresser or a makeup artist or both you can make up the belt to suit your day your job you know your requirements, whether you're looking after one person, three people, you can just design it to suit your needs. That's awesome. I used to find myself buying a different set bag for every job almost, depending on, you know, different sizes and shapes and all that type of stuff. So if you just have this one system with the interchangeable pouches, it makes life so much easier because you already know how you like each pouch to kind of be set up and where you like to put things and it just makes life so much easier. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we have PVC pouches, you know, obviously the clear ones so that you can see, but then we also have the black polyester for the things that you want to be a bit more discreet about so things can be hidden away as well. Over the years, as the product has developed, we now have pouches on a Velcro top, which just makes it so much easier for swapping in and out. And even if you need to leave set and leave a couple of actors to somebody else to look after you can just velcro off your actor bags Mm -hmm. and pass them on to another crew member which is really great as well that's awesome um so what is the feedback you receive from customers using the belt it has been incredible because we've had amazing feedback from our customers and i get so excited and i'm so thrilled when i hear someone tell me that it's completely changed their working day it's really lovely sometimes we just get you know random emails from customers or might be somebody posting something on their social media just saying how much they love it and the belt is it's so comfortable that when you're you forget you're wearing it um it's always with you and the best thing is that there's no more clutching actor bags under your armpits that is saying something after working 12 to 17 hours if not more on set and that you're still comfortable wearing it at the end of the day like that to me is amazing Well, that's exactly right. And there is something about when you're wearing the belt, because, you know, as we all know, the hours are incredibly long most days. And so when you are wearing the belt, there's almost something about, you know, when you click it on, it almost kind of pulls you up into line. I think that it keeps your core a bit stronger because you are, you know what I mean? You're aware of your body when you're wearing something around it. I actually feel for me personally, I really love wearing it because I just feel like it pulls my posture into line more than when I'm not wearing it, you know? It's quite a comforting feeling just clicking it on and off you go. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. So how can people find your product? Is LSB International? 
It is sold all over the world, which is really exciting. We've got wonderful retailers and we do ship worldwide. So if anyone's interested looking at the range, please do go to our website, which is linearbelts.com. You can check out our stockist page for a retailer near you. But we would love to offer Last Looks listeners a 20% discount off the range when you shop at our website only. So again, the website is linearbelts.com. And at checkout, if you enter the coupon code LASTLOOKS20, all in capital letters, we'll be happy to offer a 20% discount. Yay. Thank you. That's exciting. Thank you. (laughs) Got to spread the LSB love. LSB love, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for sharing um, your awesome product, Georgia. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Today, I'm speaking with hairstylist and makeup artist Georgia Lockhart Adams. Georgia has looked after some pretty iconic characters in film and worked under some amazing designers. We talk about what it takes to be the one the designer trusts with their vision and how she navigates the dynamic between designer, actor, and herself as the artist. Picture up, last looks, rolling, and action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Georgia. Hi, Jamie Lee. Thank you for having me. Now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Once upon a time, there was a girl named Georgia, and when she grew up, she wanted to be... Oh, my goodness. What did I want to be? That is such a good question. Do you know, when I was really young, I actually wanted to be, at one point, an ear hostess. (laughs) Oh, Fanny, so did I. (laughs) <laughs> yes and they're called a flight attendant now but flight yes, attendant. Did. yes okay good <laughs> yeah. oh there we go didn't know that about you jr <laughs> yeah well, it, well it's funny because i'd never actually been on a plane at that point so i, I don't know where i was getting that from the tv probably yeah <laughs> Love it. so <laughs> at what point did you decide to not be a flight attendant and move into hair and makeup hair and makeup okay so I think that I, I fell into hairdressing sort of by accident, actually, and it was an after-school job of mine. And so I started hairdressing when I was about, I think I was either 13 or 14, and I just started out with you know shampooing hair and making coffees and sweeping the floor and all that sort of thing. And then I sort of quickly discovered that I really loved you know that environment and, and I was really interested in colouring. And so I just kind of pretty quickly got my hands into it and I just used to work every day after school and on my weekends and in my school holidays and everything. And then I left school at the end of my sixth form year, which I I guess is the year before, you know, the last year of school mm-hmm. to go and do a year of makeup training. And by that stage, you know, I was like quite deep in the hairdressing already and absolutely loving it. I'd heard about this makeup college and I really thought that obviously, you know, one complemented the other and I was really interested in, you know, getting involved in makeup and learning all about fashion and very basic entry-level prosthetics. You know, we used to make bald caps and, you know, bits and pieces like that and wounds and things. I was too young to do the course. I was a year too young, but the, the tutor allowed me to do it, I think, because she could see that I was, you know, working hard already in the salon and I was really committed to it. And so that was kind of my vision at that point was that I wanted to become a hair and makeup artist. I really loved the idea of the whole package, you know, the whole look. Mm. So I did my makeup course and then from there I was back into the salon full time. So, you know, by the time I was 18, I'd already finished all my training and I was back working full time in the hair salon and sort of supplementing that with, you know, we used to do a lot of photographic shoots. So I used to do all the makeup and I used to just do the young girls that were coming in to get their hair done for balls. I used to do the makeup and those sorts of bits and pieces. That's kind of how I started in the early days. That's very cool. I have to ask though, what course did you do? The makeup course, it was like a faculty of makeup and design at the Design and Arts was College. Was it the Design and Arts College? Yeah. Ah, yeah that, lady, that, I did the same course. You did the same one like, in Christchurch. I was, yeah. I was oh. like 21, I think, by the time I did that though. Okay. So, well, we must yeah. be. I know you're younger than me, aren't you? So it would have been a few years later. No. No? <laughs> I'm older oh. than you. Oh, are you? Yeah. No. <laughs> we must have been like uh, like a couple of couple of years, couple apart. Of years out from each other, I reckon. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But was it um who was the tutor? Was it Midge? It was Midge, yes. Yes. 
Yeah. She was great. Yeah. Okay, we did the same tutor. That's she awesome. Was great. Mm. Yeah. Oh, very good. Hilarious. Yeah. So that was all done and dusted by the time I was, you know, I, was, I think I was 18 when I'd finished and I was back in the hair salon. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I guess that kind of, that's where it sort of led into my first film job. Oh, really? In Christchurch? Well, yes, it started in Christchurch. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was aware that Lord of the Rings was shooting and they were up sort of around Wellington. They were based in Wellington at the time. And um, I knew that they'd already been shooting for probably, you know, a year or six months or a year they were actually shooting while I was in that makeup college and I'd sort of thought to myself you know I didn't really know where the film was what I wanted to do but I was really willing to give it a crack and see if I could you know get amongst and experience it you know in the crowd room and everything and so basically I didn't know how but you know how do who do I email how do I do this was basically my question (laughs) Um, and so I had heard through one of my mum's really close family friend, you know, family friend of ours, a friend of hers was actually on the main team. Her name was Lenore Stewart and she was um, looking after one of the hobbits on Lord of the Rings. And anyway, so we basically via contact through her, I was able to get the name of, uh, you know, contact details of the woman who was running the crowd room. And so Mm -hmm. just by getting that direct contact, I was able to sort of start emailing reasonably regularly to express my interest. And then finally (laughs) I got an email back because basically I had an email back one day saying we need to be based in Wellington. And at that point I was, you know, working full time in the salon and I uh, I was 18 and I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to just jump on a plane and go to Wellington. And, you know, I just wasn't sure that that was what I wanted to do. So she had said you need to be in Wellington. Otherwise we're going to be coming down to the South Island in a few months. And so if you're interested, you could possibly join the team, you know, when we come down south. And I was like, oh, that sounds perfect. That would be really exciting and great opportunity. So I sort of, you know, said that, yes, I would love to do that. And uh, she said, well, we'll be in contact close to the time. So then what happened was, you know, I guess a few months had passed by. And then I got an email Mm -hmm. to say that they were coming down south on tour and that they needed, you know, additional makeup artists for the crowd room and that they were going to hold a wig workshop in Christchurch for uh, for two days. So they set up this two-day wig workshop, which was just the most phenomenal experience and I guess probably a really poignant thing in my career because that was the first time that I got to lay my hands on, which was at the time, Owen and King wigs. So, Mm. you know, there was about, I think there was about maybe six or seven of us, five or six of us that were doing this wig workshop and a couple of the girls from my course, you know, same year as me from our college. And then there was a few others that I didn't really know of. And in that two days, we were basically taught how to care for these wigs, how to apply them, you know, how to prep the hair, how to do a really good head wrap how to apply the wigs, how to remove them, how to block them. It was just kind of like a two-day crash course on working with these wigs. And I'll never forget it because, you know, they just say, so, you know, grab a wig out of the box and I'd pull it out and I'd, you know, sort of, you know, have very delicate, you know, very carefully looking at it. And then on the inside, it would have a little label that would say, you know, Nicole Kidman or Winona Ryder or something like that. And I remember just being going, going, oh, my God, you know. It was so... um, I guess I was like very apprehensive, but also excited going, wow, these wigs are, I've never seen anything like it, you know? Because, mm. you know, I think at college that wasn't a part of our, I don't think we did any uh, lace front. It was, you know, no. just kind of pull-ons mm-hmm. and bits and pieces like that. So that was a really incredible experience. And then, so we did the two days and then we went off to, I think we were shooting in a place called Mount Summers. So we got ourselves some accommodation nearby. It was about an hour and a half or so out of Christchurch. And I was booked to work for two weeks. And yeah, I mean, it was just unbelievable. You know, the machine that I, I I just couldn't believe the machine that it was, you know, you sort of walk into that crowd tent first day and it was so overwhelming. There was, you know, there must've been at least 50 or 60 makeup artists and hairdressers Mm. all working in there. Everyone had their own mirror. And, you know, we had a, you know, a bit of a brief that morning of what was required. And so, you know, it was all basically wigs and, beards and a bit of breakdown dirt all that sort of thing and then that was basically how it all started so that was the day I met Peter King that day and yeah. I'll never forget it because it was amazing so I, I had been given this 
I'd been given this, um, you know, this soldier that I had to put a wig and a beard on. And um, on his bag, it said that he was a featured extra. So anyway, I pulled the wig out and I went to put it on him. And I was like, oh gosh, there was quite a large tear in the front of the lace. And, you know, Mm. we hadn't sort of done a lot of troubleshooting in the wig course that we had done, you know, a few days before. So I was kind of like, oh, God, you know, it's going to be a featured extra. Oh, Oh, no, it's going to be on camera. Oh, my God, you know, like, what am I going to do with this? It's not, you know. So I remember I prepped his hair up and I had it all ready to go. And I and Peter was standing over in the distance and I thought, okay, I'm going to go over there and I'm just going to. I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to say, you know, is this wig okay? You know, I had no idea really what I was doing. And yeah. I went up to him and I said, you know, excuse me, Peter. And he said, yes. And I said, um, <laughs> I've got a guy in my chair. He's a featured extra. And, um, and I've, got this, I've got this wig and it's got a tear in the lace. It's got a rip in it. And I'm, I'm not quite sure what I should do with it. And he picked it up and he looked at it and he handed it back to me. And he said, just make it work, darling. I said, Okay. And I walked off and that was that. <laughs> so I did. I just had to make it work. I just had to do my best. Yeah. And, you know, it was sort of, he, he, he was seen on camera and I remember standing there thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. But, you know, with a little bit of trickery and, you know, pulling down a few hairs onto his hairline and bits and pieces, it was absolutely fine. So that was my first interaction with Peter King. And, um, <laughs> My two weeks of work turned into four months full time, which was incredible. So I, tr- oh I ended God. up staying on the team and I traveled all around the South Island with the background crew. And oh, we, we were traveling around the South Island for two months. And then I went up to Wellington and I continued on for another couple of months up there. And that was obviously when, you know, in there at Stone Street Studios and the makeup rooms that we both know very well, lady. Yeah. <laughs> the windowless makeup room. And it was there that, you mm-hmm. know, I guess I got to know Peter. A lot better and he sort of took me under his wing I guess and I used to go to set and assist him on set and that was when I really had made that decision at that point that this was my career and this is what I wanted to do I absolutely loved it and I loved going to set and watching you know all the hair and makeup artists with their characters and you know I was just really curious about that whole journey the journey of the character and and looking after that one person from the beginning to the end of the film and all the different looks and things that they might go through mm-hmm. and so yeah so I assisted Peter for a little while and I guess the rest is history really that's where it all began that's very cool I yeah. I love that I've known you for the, all this time and I, I never knew any of that <laughs> yeah I know I know it's crazy isn't it that's amazing yeah that's very cool now I wanted to chat to you about some of the incredible projects that you have worked on Mm -hmm. and the talent that you've done here and makeup on Mm -hmm. but also the designers that you've helped bring that vision to a reality okay because that's something I find quite interesting and I think you have a very good relationship or have had a very good relationship with every job that you've done with the designers with the cast and I think that we should just dive into that a little bit more sure so after after doing helping out on Lord of the Rings and doing background and assisting Peter Mm. what was the next kind of film that you did where you were actually looking after that cast member that you had from start to finish of a shoot so okay so that would have been so after Lord of the Rings I ended up going over to the UK for a couple of years and I was working full-time in a hair salon over there but also was doing some work with Peter over there so he had actually I came over to the UK and then he ended up coming back to New Zealand to do more Lord of the Rings pickups Mm -hmm. so I was working in a hair salon for a good chunk of the time but once he came back I ended up doing more dailies for him on more films over there so in the crowd room over in the UK that was great you know I mean the hair skills of the UK hair people are just phenomenal so that was really awesome being in the crowd rooms over there and just you know an incredible experience just seeing what is being produced and so that was really great did a few films over in the UK and then I came back to New Zealand I guess by now would have been about maybe 22 and PK had reached out because he was coming to do King Kong 
in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And that was the first film for me where I was allocated my own cast, which was really exciting. I was looking after three of the guys on that. And I absolutely loved that job. And because, again, I was doing the hair and the makeup, had my three cast. Of course, all, it was all period. So going into the crowd room and, you know, being able to do all the period hair on the big crowd days as well. And just, you know, always trying to keep busy doing and learning new things. Mm. But on that job, that was when I met Rick Finlater, who was our supervisor. I always love working with Rick and we've worked together a lot since then. So that was the first job that I met him on as well. Yeah, so King Kong. So with those three cast members, was that the first time that you'd, that you'd done like full breakdown like continuity breakdowns and stuff for your cast or it was that's exactly right yeah no I hadn't done that before so I on that job that was when I you know learned that I needed to obviously first job where I was given a script you know reading the script breaking it down doing each character breakdown so that I knew the story of each character really well and then from there that's kind of when you start you know, when you're having your chats with the um, HOD, your designer, mm-hmm. to kind of nut out their looks. And was Peter just kind of giving you a guide of what you were to do and you doing it? Or was it more of a discussion between you and him and the cast member? Or how did that kind of work? I think basically with that whole process, I can't remember specifically on King Kong because it's such a long time ago. Yeah. But like with PK, you know, he is amazing. So basically, and as I said, I sort of always think of myself as a worker bee. So I kind of have a process of I'll I start on the job, read the script, then I read it again and do my character breakdowns. Then I'll go to the designer, whether it's PK or whether it's Rick or, you know, somebody else and we'll go and we'll talk about, you know, basically I would have the story and the journey of that character already pretty well embossed in my brain. And then we will talk about what, you know, their their ideas. So basically, I guess the designer's vision, we'll look Mm -hmm. at costume design, we'll look at any concept art that's been drawn up. They might have some specific notes or ideas from the the director or the producers already, you know, if there's something specific. Yeah. But basically, you know, we'll kind of go through all of those things and uh, gosh I guess there's it's such a broad spectrum because let's think about films like The Hobbit for example or some other ones I've done like Superman or on Aquaman with Mera the framework is kind of already there because those characters you know we know for example on The Hobbit that Bilbo Baggins has sort of curly shaggy hair he has very large ears and he has large hairy feet you know what I mean so it's kind of like we've already (laughs) sort of got a framework or for you know Mera on Aquaman for example our director was very specific that he wanted her to really resemble exactly basically what the comic looked like there was no really no real interpretation of that he wanted her to have flaming red waist length hair so it's kind of like you sort of already have some of the framework in place, you know, for a lot of characters, if they're a comic book or whatever it may be. So other ones, if they don't, if they just have a look. So, for example, going back to King Kong, with those boys, it sort of is more about the character, I guess. So one of the guys I was looking after was like a movie star, Kyle Chandler. He was playing, Mm -hmm. you know, like a movie star. So he was kind of to be kind of sort of quite preppy looking. And we knew that Mm -hmm. we were using his own hair. So you're kind of talking about, oh, you know, he might have a bit of a, bit of a blow dry and a bit of, you know, sweep it back, make it look kind of slick, Mm -hmm. clean shaven or, you know, you kind of just talk about the feel. And, you know, whether you're putting a wig on them or whether you're using their own hair, that dictates a lot. And often if we're using their own hair, I'll often colour it as well, um, which is great having that hairdressing background as you know lady yeah so basically you have those discussions with the designer um, about what their vision is and what they want it to look like and of course you know with the designers that I've worked with a lot they also always love you know to hear my ideas as well and it's kind of you know talk together about it and then from there that's when we would you know then meet the actor so you've kind of we've sort of set out what we would like to do you know And then you meet the actor and then you get their input. They always have their dislikes and likes and things that they had sort of had in their vision of what the character might look like. 
So then kind of collaboratively, you're sort of pulling it all together, you know, in your first meeting, or it might be a, you know, first wig fitting, you're just sort of chatting things out and getting an idea of where you're going to start from when you do, you know, when you start testing and playing around and then you know, when you get to camera tests. Yeah. Has it ever gotten to a point where you and the designer have kind of worked out what direction you want to go in and then the cast members come in and just said something completely different? Or have you just been lucky enough that they're on the same kind of page or wavelength Um, as you guys? I think generally speaking, especially if it's a character that's kind of already established, you know, (laughs) the actor's kind of like, you know, if you're signing on to be the Hobbit, you're going to be the Hobbit, you know, (laughs) you can't really, there's not a lot of creative, there's not a lot of uh, license to tweak that or change that really. But more so, it's the little things like, I think for the actors, it's the little things that make them feel comfortable. So it might be, you know, that you put a wig on or you do their hair and then they might say, you know, I really prefer it to have a bit more height through the top or some volume or I'd really like it to be this or that. Like they kind of have just little things that make them feel more comfortable because they really know their faces so well. Mm. And, you know, they're just, it's normally just more so little tweaks. But I don't, I think, um, you know, on the jobs that I've worked on so far, I have never had an actor that's kind of gone, oh my God, no, this is not what I, you know, envisaged that, that we were going to have, which is, which is Thank good. <laughs> yeah. It would be horribly awkward. <laughs> I know, I know, it would be awkward. And what are you mad? Yeah, I know, I know, that's it. And then, you know, and then you do, you get some that are just really right into just giving it everything, you know, like I, I once worked on a film with Rachel Weiss. Oh, with you, lady, with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, you know, she was playing, it was on The Light Between the Oceans and she was playing a really, it was, a, you know, obviously a tragic story um, of her losing her child and she just really wanted to, like, rip right into it. She just wanted me to make her look terrible, <laughs> which mm. was hard, somebody that beautiful, you know, but she was yeah. really adamant that she needed to just look absolutely destroyed you know because I think sometimes you sort of want to edge on a bit of caution you know you want to you still want that person to feel good they have to feel comfortable they have to feel you know but when someone's you know when they're so deep into the character like that you know she was just like yep make me look worse I want to hollow the eyes out more let's just go for it let's just you know which is really exciting it's it's great when you get that kind of situation absolutely yeah when they want to just lean into it yes uh, yeah the, op- yeah. the opposite of that is really frustrating when somebody's just like, oh, no, can we not, um, you know, no. they still want mascara or <laughs> it's just I know. like, no, 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 I come know. on. Let's yeah. make this real. Let's, let's make it looking real. Like how, yeah, totally. let's, let's make it believable. That's exactly right. That's always been my thing. I've felt that too. You just, you do find that frustrating where you're kind of like, oh, God. So there is definitely a bit of compromise along the way sometimes, but at the end of the day, I think that is a part of my job is sort of trying to keep a lot of people happy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And the director needs to be happy. Yeah. So, I mean, when you've got the designer, you've got your actor, you've got director, there's sometimes got a producer jumping in. Mm. I mean, you build that relationship with your actor Mm because they need to trust you. That's right. But then you have somebody else in your ear going... Can you do this? So what if it's something that the actor doesn't want you to do? How <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah, if it's something they really don't want, then that's something that I, I would have the conversation with the director at the end, you know, like yeah. if it's something that they're really not into, then I would, I would, you know, and it's something that the director wants, I would have that conversation with the director and then I would let those two nut that out. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of a specific situation because I do know that feeling. I have had that happen before. I can't think off the top of my head, but I do know that feeling where it's like, oh, you know, I'm trying to do it, but she or he won't have it. And it's obviously better, as you say, to actually have the dialogue and get it out into the air. Like, oh, no, no, I've been asked to do this. I'm not happy with that. Oh, okay. Um, And go back and have more dialogue. That's exactly right. Instead of just trying to fudge your way through it. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) And hope nobody notices. (laughs) Yes, that's right. I know, I know, I know. Fingers crossed. Um, Yeah, no, that's it. So it is. It's just about keeping the communication open, I think, and... Yeah, trying to ensure that everybody's and you know there is times where things have happened or you know something something might happen on set like you've really got to be adaptable and flexible because sometimes you know the director might all of a sudden say oh you know what actually I've decided I want them to be a bit cleaner here and you go oh okay well we've actually already shot you know 
making this up, you know, 15 scenes prior mm. to this moment. And, and, you know, that's kind of, you know, continuity wise, <laughs> that's going to be a problem. Mm. And I'm a real stickler for continuity. It's one of my things. So, you know, you, you sometimes have a situation like that happen. So sometimes it is a little bit about splitting the difference. Or what I will say is I'll yeah. just say to the director, you know, just so that they're aware and they're all over it. So they're incredible most of the time, the director's but you just sort of have to make them aware of, okay, I'm totally happy to do that. However, you know that we've, you know, we've shot this, you know, such a rather scene just before this. It's not going to match, but if that's what you want, I'm happy to do it. But maybe I'll split the difference a little bit or, you know. And I think that's the thing yeah. that's so important about knowing the journey of the character and knowing what you've done. So on the day, in the morning when we come to shoot, we might be shooting, say, six different scenes that day or whatever it might be. I just make sure that I'm... Um, completely up to date with my photographs from the day before the scene before and the scene after just to make sure that I'm all over in my mind you know where the characters come from what's got them to this point and where they're going to next yeah so that yeah you just know where you're at and you know if those things do change because they can things change all the time in the film industry yeah that you can kind of be prepared and ready you know that if they do want to make changes you can say sure I can do that however you realize that this is you know x y and z and if we make that yeah. change it's going to impact what we shot the scene after or whatever it might be and you know little things like that happen because you could be dealing with the elements it could be hair continuity it could be anything you know things just are sort of changing a lot so yeah I think it's about being flexible and yeah absolutely well just arming yourself with all that information mm. so when you have all that information and you're confident on where your character is in the story then if something happens or something is you're asked to change something you can just confidently and directly say you can communicate that's right well we're this 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 is that okay yes mm -hmm. that's okay okay mm. great and move on instead of standing there fumbling around going oh but I think um 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 in scene yes. uh, 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 you know and just frustrating a director to no end that's right because they don't have the time for mucking around they just want the facts <laughs> you know no. that's right they just want yeah. the facts and they want to know that you can give them what they want and so that is mm -hmm. as you say it's just about protecting yourself and making them aware just in case they haven't thought of it because it has happened before I've said you know this is where we're at and they've gone oh Yes, you're right. You know what yeah. I mean? And because and, you do have to just remind them because they're thinking about everything and we are thinking yeah. about our very specific department. You know what I mean? We're thinking about one thing, they're thinking about the overall. So it is just a, a good thing to be able to sort of let them know and then it's still their decision at the end of the day and you just do what you need to do. Yeah, you live with it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we've all had those moments, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have. But that also crosses over to your cast member as well because if you're all over your continuity and the story and how everything's gone for them, then if they have any questions either, they'll just be like, oh, wh what was it looking like in the scene before this? I can't remember. You know, mm. then you can just be like, oh, here's a photo. This is where you're at. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Mm. But there have been times that I've worked with people where the actor is telling the hair and makeup person <laughs> what the continuity should be and I'm like that's very that's amazing and very gracious of them but at the same no. time it's not really it's not their job it's oh, not their job I know. you should I know you should know it <laughs> that's right and that makes me feel a little uncomfortable I have to tell you I go oh you know like <laughs> it's yeah it is our job to be all over that all over it like a rash yeah. we need to have it and it can be very difficult if the script is like you know, I've worked on a couple of jobs where, oh my goodness, the script is changing constantly. The um, script numbers, like there's A101 and C101 being thrown into the middle of everything and it can get a little confusing, mm -hmm. but you want to be the one that's on top of it. That's exactly right. Exactly. And they, and as you say, they can be really confusing scripts. Sometimes you've got scripts that are like, they're just dealing with flashbacks and different time periods and Oh my gosh! All these, uh, all of these things. I remember um, when I was working on Avatar with Sam Worthington, and mm. when he arrived, he had his own hair. And then, you know, in the film, he obviously has like a jar head haircut for a lot of it. You know, that really military short haircut. So they wanted to yeah. use his own hair for when it was longer in the film for as much as possible. 
But then basically the whole schedule was revolved around cutting his mm-hmm. hair and trimming his beard back to the jar head and a clean shave. So we basically did everything in reverse. And that was crazy because everything revolved around that. So there was a lot of pressure on me to, um, you know, we'd shoot a scene, right, quickly race Sam back to the trailer for another haircut and another beard trim. And it was kind of all, you know, staged out, which obviously, you know, we had worked through in the in his original character breakdown, how we were going to do that. But, you know, when yeah. when a, when a schedule's been um, based around the hair, <laughs> it's a bit of pressure, yeah. that's for sure, you know. You want to get it right. <laughs> that's right. You get one chance, you know. So, yeah, that's another scenario where you go, oh, better get it right. That's interesting. It doesn't happen, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen very often either, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And then we still, you know, we still had to use a wig for some stuff. But I think that Jim, James Cameron, just really wanted to use his own hair and his own beard for as much of it as possible when we first got there. Yeah. So we did do a lot of that, but, you know, there was still had to use a wig for other scenes later on in the shoot once he once he had his jar head. That's understandable. I also remember on that first season of Spartacus with you looking after lovely Andy Whitfield mm, yes. and the amount of <laughs> just his wounds that you were keeping an eye on, all his different wounds <laughs> and sweat and blood and oh, dirt. I think I've and... blocked that out, JL. I think I've blocked it out. <laughs> But I'd never, I just, I could see, like, I wasn't working in the trailer with you. I think I was running background on that one, but just, Mm. I could just see how focused you were on making sure that for every scene, he was at the right level, the right level of dirt, the right level of sweat, that the wounds were in the right place. He had the correct wounds on, you know, all that type of stuff. And it was, it was amazing to watch because it's just like, oh man, she is on it. Oh, and that's very which kind. Then, Thank you. And, oh and turn makes you work so much quicker as well because mm. you have a plan, you know, you know, you know what's coming up next, you know what needs to happen. Mm. And yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed watching that on the sidelines. Oh, that's <laughs> very amazing. kind. But that job was <laughs> that job was like absolutely insane. I just and you know, and for the first couple of episodes he was also wearing a, a this beautiful wig sort of shoulder length Mm. wig because he'd come from slavery so he had this long hair and he had permanent scars so he had a couple of scars that were just on his body you know for every single day of every single episode they were you know scars from earlier in his life yeah and then we had yeah as you say it was just insane because every single episode he was in another battle so we would go into an episode he would have a fight gladiatorial fight and he'd have you know let's make it oh let's call it six new slash wounds from these swords but then in that episode he would also have the healing wounds from the last battle in the episode before so we had you know as you said varying levels of healing wounds plus fresh wounds, plus all the dirt, the sand, the sweat, the running blood. Like it was just insane. It was completely insane. I actually don't even know and how to survive. Having to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> and having to keep up with the tanning and oh, the also tanning. the fact oh. that, I mean, those guys never, they were wearing they had no clothes anything. on. So I know, they were wearing doing a like a full, yeah, you're doing oh. like a full body of makeup and hair. And I it was know. just, I mean, amazing. It was intense. It was really intense. And I do remember at the beginning of that job because Andy's, you know, his turnaround and, and his time in the chair and all of those things, you know, the producers came to have a chat with me because I was, I was doing it. I mean, I can't even remember. I think some days there were up to, you know, 10 applications of different prosthetic pieces and then all the bruising and the healing scabs and all the rest of it, plus the wig and everything. And I remember, and the body wash and the dirt, I remember the producers coming up and saying, now we know that you're doing your absolute best, but is there any way you can get that time down? And I just had to say, I I can't. Like, I I think I got it down to an hour and, you know, it was like an hour and 15 on some days and an hour 30 on others, but it just, I just couldn't, you know, I did have a, I did have someone assisting me. Oh, I know. It was just, it was crazy. And then I would always have to (laughs) break down the next episode and it was wild. But I will say that, you know, with the support, like Jane O'Kane, who was our makeup designer on that, she's 
absolutely phenomenal. Mm. One of the hardest workers I've ever come across. And she has, my God, she's just amazing. And she's so supportive and her vision is unbelievable. And I, I knew that I could always go to her at any time, you know, if I was felt like I was lagging in any way or I needed some support. You know, she was always there. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. You know, and she's just so incredibly well-rounded. She's so good at everything, which is amazing. And she's a, she's a really amazing designer to work for. So, yeah, that was quite an experience. <laughs> so when you've got something like that that's always changing and evolving and, I mean, you know, you've got the wounds healing, new ones coming in, are you just kind of going with the flow and – like how planned is this? Because I mean, you've got the fight beats and everything. Do you just yes. wait for that fight to basically, happen? Basically, then... yeah. So basically, an episode before, like an episode before the one, you know, while we we're currently shooting one, you would get the fight beats and the choreography mm. from the stunt department for the next episode. So Jane and I would have a meeting. I think we used to have a meeting maybe once a week or once an episode. I can't remember how it used to work. I think it might have been once an episode. We would sit down after the, you know, 16-hour day was complete. We would sit down in her office because there was never any time. Like I, I was on every second of every day on set. There was, n- there was no time to prep, you know, during work time because it was television. Yeah. You know, it was kind of television of like a film quality. They wanted the highest standard, but it was – really fast turnaround yeah so Jane and I used to sit down once an episode and we would go through the fight beats for the next episode and we would we had kind of a catalog of wounds and we would select what wounds um, mm-hmm. Andy was going to have and where they would be placed you know obviously according to the choreography and Jane because I couldn't manage that as well so she would do all the ordering of the wounds to make sure I think main reactor was doing all of that at the time so she would order everything through main reactor yeah. so that we had you know however many sets so she'd work out how many sets we needed for that episode plus you know the healing ones if they were big you know juicy gashes we would have the healing ones from the current episode (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. she would then figure out how many sets of everything I needed and she would just make sure that everything was always ready for me ready to go so that I could just apply them on the day I used to do a little you know just get get the color on and then there's obviously a lot of fresh blood Mm. yeah we used to just figure that out episode by episode but you know Jane was really amazing she would just have it all ready to go on top of it that's right and I would just walk into work in the morning and the fresh wounds would have arrived and you know it was a it was a big factory that's for sure of turning everything around and making sure that we all had everything because of course there was not only Andy there was all the other characters as well that were you know going through varying levels of that themselves (laughs) so yeah it was a big job that one and then so were you looking after his stunt double as well or was somebody else I had somebody else looking after his stunt double because, yeah, so if I was ever able to do it, which that's my thing, if I'm ever able to do my stunts, I like to do them. As I was saying before, I'm a little yeah. bit of a stickler for continuity. I feel the same way about the doubles. And especially mm. in recent years, the doubles, it's just, there is a little bit of a mentality around, you know, oh, she's just a double or he's just a double, so don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. But that's, I can't. Yeah, mm. that's not how I roll. <laughs> and the reason being is that in well, it's, a, years, <laughs> it's just a double that's going on camera. That's right. It's just a double that's going on camera. And in recent years, what they've started doing is actually using the footage of the double. So they're actually using the doubles. So, for example, they're here. Okay, so if they, they do a stunt, but they're not going to get that same kind of action out of the actual cast member what they do is they do a face Mm. replacement and they put the actor's face Mm. onto the stunt double's body if they need to. And so you're actually getting, you know, you're not, that's true. We're not necessarily going to be ever seeing the double's face, but certainly we will be seeing their hair. So it's always really important to me that the wigs are basically identical, that the double has as good a wig as the cast member does and you know it depends Mm. I mean I don't get me wrong if it's like a background driving stunt or something then no that's not necessary but you know when it's action based you know for example on Aquaman with Mera and her double for those fight sequences and things it was critical that the double had the same quality of hair that the actress does yeah Mm. and I guess the same color of red too because if that was varying I mean they could probably play with it a bit in post but you you want to save them from having to do that too I guess right yes yes I think that's Ah, another one that I've locked out there (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. Yeah, I think we had uh, five five human hair weeks for Mira and her doubles. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Yeah, and I was in charge of obviously keeping on top of the colour and we were using a lot of water on that job. So they were incredibly mm. high maintenance because, you know, we're using kind of fudge, you know, paint box to get that vibrancy that the director was after. I was using oh, wow. you know, a couple of different shades of fudge paint box to get that intensity and vibrancy. So, Which is just a direct dye, so it's just going to keep washing out, isn't it? They do, oh, they do. Yeah. And I mean, when the wigs arrived to us, they were obviously already red, but he wanted them, mm-hmm. you know, so that it was never like they would sort of wash out to something that was, you know, a terrible colour, but it was just that kind of, you know, flaming red intensity that James Wan was after. So it was you know, quite a bit of maintenance across all the wigs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they were, That's you know, amazing. waist length and, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of curly, it was... That was also a lot of work, but yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I have to say, so I have to ask, mm. throughout the shooting of The Hobbit and looking after Bilbo Baggins, mm. Mr. Martin Freeman, Yeah. and now that shoot, like it was over such a long period of time that we were on that. Yes. How difficult did you find it to keep on top of your continuity with that? I mean, were we shooting that like all over the place or it wasn't too bad? I don't actually remember. Yeah. When you're telling one story over the period of like two years, it's kind of, you have to think about it, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I guess the, the way that I kind of, in my mind, for something that's of that length and when, you know, Bilbo Baggins has kind of got his, you know, his staple every day, his ears, <laughs> You know, he had beard cover because they didn't, you know, hobbits don't grow hair out of their faces. They seem to grow an extreme amount from everywhere else, but for some reason not from their faces. <laughs> so he had, you know, the beard cover. Yeah. He had, um, you know, we actually wanted to change Martin's skin tone quite dramatically because they sort of wanted that kind of sort of, you know, Martin's got really pale skin and um, they kind of wanted to warm him up. He's mm-hmm. sort of more of a peachy kind of a sort of a cheruby, you know, sort of a face. So... They wanted, yeah. um, we, we were using, I would say, quite a lot of makeup on a male, which, you know, is sort of, again, goes against what I would normally do on a male. So that was, you know, he did have, he mm. did have quite a bit of makeup on and I used to sort of break it down with airbrushing and bits and pieces like that to sort of give him some texture and to, you know, so it didn't look too solid and then you know ears wig and then he had his obviously his feet which were taken care of by the prosthetics department but with Martin you know aside from the things that he had every day I would just um you know he had basically throughout his journey he would have varying levels of breakdown and I guess in my mind on Mm. any job I try to always keep it at about three levels because in my mind I always sort of think okay it's a level one it's a two or a three you know one being a really light kind of a bit of a lived in travel grime and number three being you know like he's been rolling around in the mud or he's you know they haven't had a wash in six months and you know have been in fights and whatever it might be so I kind of keep it at about three levels and I think you just kind of pinpoint areas you know I think if the level always matches then you're okay and you just don't, you know, if there is a sort of a standout area of dirt, you just have to make sure that you're kind of keeping that. If there's something that catches the eye, mm. which is kind of, in my experience, sort of more what you want to avoid. Because, as you say, when you're shooting yeah. something for that long, you just kind of want it to be generic kind of breakdown. So it wasn't too yeah. hard to keep a track of it, I guess, because you've always got your photos, you know, and I know that sometimes for the actors it's frustrating, but in their minds they're like, you know, you've got photos of this already. You know, we've got we've done this look already. And it's like, yes, we have, but you know, if there's a slight tweak, you just want to be armed and ready in case somebody picks something up, you know, like the script supervisor or yeah. the director or whatever it may be. You just want to know that you've got all bases covered, you know. That's obviously a really important part is making sure that you photograph them if they have dirt and things like that. You know, if it's just a beautiful pretty makeup and you're doing uh, something contemporary and you're doing the same thing every single day then no you don't need to Mm. you know (laughs) be photographing them for every scene that's exactly right but just be photographing for for the hair continuity things like that just any changes yeah I was going to ask with all the designers that you've worked with Mm. how like are they quite different with their involvement so I imagine sometimes they're very involved and hands-on and kind of giving you the products that they want you to use to achieve the look and all that type of thing through to 
I assume you would have worked with someone at some point that's just kind of like, this is kind of what I want. Here you go. Off you go. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) I mean, there's a spectrum. There's a, you know, quite yeah. a spectrum there isn't there for for designers that's, and how they work yeah that's exactly right I think that over the years I've worked with a few designers that I've worked with a lot you know and you really get to know how they work and I guess there's a lot of trust there because you've built a, such a great relationship over the years so often with those designers mm. you know you'll come in there and they'll say you know this is who you this is who you're looking after and they might have some specific ideas. That, that I mean, the designers always have a vision, I think. They always have their research and they have their references. They might be stuck up around the wall or they may have made a folder for that character already going, you know, this is what I see. Or, But I think with those designers, when you've been working with someone for a long time, they, you know, I guess they've got you there because they trust you and they know that, I guess, if you, you know, you're going to be able to pull off whatever it is that they want. Or they're just basically, as you say, going to leave you to it. So there are so many ways to do things. And I guess that's the thing that I love with the designers. Mm. They'll give you the freedom to kind of go about it. And if you have got a question, because, of course, you know, the designers that I'm working with have got way more experience than I have. So it's really nice to, you know, if you do (laughs) have a question at any time, you can go to them and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or I've tried this product and this product didn't love it. What would you use? Or, you know, but most of the time, the designers that I work with just let me go for it and I'll, you know, start testing and playing around and I might, you know, do a few tests on another crew member, you know, another member of our team or you might get a double in for the actor or whatever it is. I always find that the more testing you can do before you get to camera test time, the better and obviously preferably on the actor because it's just nice to play around with different things, I guess, and see what works out best. You know, whereas if you're limited on time, sometimes you start out with something, but it can develop as the shoot goes on. I think, you know, you go, oh, I might just, I'll get the Mm. same result, but I might try this product because it might just have a slightly better finish or whatever it might be. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have kind of tweaked things as things go on and they get a bit better. But yeah, so, sorry, I segue there. So yeah, I think that the designers, I think I've worked with a couple where they've sort of provided me with you know kind of like a bag of things and sort of said you know I thought these would be really great to try and I'll say okay great well you know we'll give these a try and but they'll always say and I'm sure you've got things that you want to try too so yeah there is a different level of involvement and I think for me normally what happens is I am looking after the lead I guess it ends up that I'm incredibly busy and there's not really much time once I'm on set I'm on set most you know all day most days and so you know once you've done your camera test and the designer's happy and the director's happy and the actor's happy that's it you're just kind of into it you know until you might have that's right until you might have changes of looks or whatever it might be there might be a flashback you might go back 20 years you might have a different wig those sorts of things then you know you mm. be back in communication with the designer again to say you know what do you think do you think they'd have their hair out for that look or I always like to have the designer's input because it is their vision at the end of the day and it's my job to create that vision I guess as best as I can yeah but, you know the designers that I work with are always willing for me to have input as well which is really nice that is nice and I think just when they have that trust in you and you can feel that it gives you the confidence to kind of move forward and on with it and just get into it and be like okay everybody's happy this is great let's do it that's right exactly and then you know you also have sometimes you work with directors who have a really strong vision about things themselves and so often you'll just end up dealing directly with the director you know what I mean I I had that just recently on Mulan which hasn't come out yet but you know Nikki Caro Mm. she has a really I guess being a female director she had a really strong vision around you know how she wanted leading lady Mulan to look and so I would you know we just Mm -hmm. sort of ended up working together on that if she wanted you know especially she had a, a strong vision about her hair and how she wanted that to be. And so we kind of communicated in the very, you know, early days before we started shooting. And I would always just check in with her, you know, in those first couple of weeks, you know, are you happy? Just want to make sure that we're on the right track and everything's good. And I think that's the thing. It's just about, you know, again, keeping the communication open. And a lot of the time in our business, I always say that no comment's a good comment, (laughs) you know, because everyone's so busy, you know, if nobody says anything, then things are good. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. 
that's kind of how I operate. I'm like, you know, occasionally you'll get a producer or the director or someone who will say, you know, thank you so much, they, they look so great or whatever it is. And that's always really lovely feedback. It's always so mm-hmm. great to hear that. But they're so busy and yeah. it's like as long as you're not getting feedback that things aren't right, then you're on the right track. And if things aren't right, that's part of the job. You just have to be open. You have to be flexible. You have to be adaptable. You have to be willing to listen. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's the director's vision and what they want is what they get, you know, and you have to be ready to make changes and do things to make them happy, basically. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Now, you've also done a bit of um, work as a personal. Do you have a preference? Um, well, I think I do I do love, I guess the thing, the great thing, one of the pros about being a, a personal for me is I've got a young family now. So one thing that I really do love about that is that you sort of, it's a known quantity. So, you know, you might look at the schedule and again, going back to the fact that things change often, you know, the actor or actress you're looking after mm. might be on for three days that week. And you sort of pretty much guaranteed that you'll work those three days, but then you'll have another couple of, you know, couple of down days, or you might just go in for a couple of hours to do some stuff with the double or do a bit of prep or, you know, do some wig prep, whatever it might be. So I guess for me, you know, having a family that can provide me a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more time um, at home. And I do, you know, the only thing with that though is that, you know, because I do do hair and makeup, if you're a personal, you're sort of a one-man band, I guess. And so, you know, that would be one thing that I would say that's, you know, not as good as I really do. I really do love being a part of a team. I love the camaraderie of a team. So I guess I just make sure that if I'm a person, I just still nestle my way in there and just make sure that I'm, you know, having, you know, being involved with the team because I love that and I love learning new things. And as I was saying before, there's not just one way to do anything, you know. It's like there's many ways Mm. to skin a cat, so to speak. We're all so busy and people are using new products. There's always new things happening. So it's just nice to be able to be involved with the team and and you know see what everyone else is doing yeah totally Mm. I think it can be it's even more difficult I think if you're being a personal and then you're stuck in a completely different trailer by yourself I can't imagine um must be just even more difficult to try and get in with the with the team (laughs) I know that's right but I guess just you know always being open yeah being open and and often I'll have communication with if I've got a key here or makeup artist you know before especially if you're going to another country or whatever you'll have I always keep the communication really open right from the beginning mm. so that I'm sort of chatting with those designers or supervisors or whatever so that when I get there, you've kind of already got a little bit of a rapport and you've already, you know, you've already had that introduction over the email. Yeah. So when you get there, it's kind of, you know, nice that you've got a little bit of a, yeah. a buddy on the ground, That's... someone that can help you out, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true, so true. What attributes do you think have helped you get to this stage in your career? Oh, these are the hard questions, JL. Um, <laughs> okay, so <laughs> no, I'm not good at this. So, I don't, lady, I don't think it's hard. I think you probably just don't like tooting your own horn, that's all. <laughs> no, I'm not very good at that. Okay, so I, I guess one thing I think that has been a a great attribute for me has been, you know, being a hairdresser and a makeup artist. So I know that it works really differently in the States, obviously, but over here, as you know, JL, often if you can Mm. do both, you do both. And Mm. I think that that, you know, having that hairdressing experience has been really great for me all those years in the salon because, you know, having that color knowledge. And I think you build up in those you know, being really young in a salon, I think you build up your people skills a lot. You know, I would have done, you know, a lot of that in my teenage years, you know, my clients were, you know, probably in their thirties and forties and fifties, you know what I mean? So you kind of learn really great social skills at a young age. So I would say that's one thing, um, you know, being a hair and a makeup artist has been great for me. What else? I would say being passionate about this job. You have to, I think you have to really love what you do because it's, you know, with the hours that we do, it's not for the faint hearted, you know, it's like, it's quite an intense Mm. workplace and you really do have to be on, you know, well, that's how I feel anyway. So I think being passionate about what I do. Being open, I, I think I was saying before, I think being open to new ideas, being open to learning, you know, willing to listen, those things are really important yeah. because there are a lot of people that I was saying before that you, you know, you need to keep happy and also having your own opinion and your own, you know, ideas as well. But 
I think it is important that you can be open and that you don't shut down if someone's saying that they not don't necessarily like something because it's not a personal attack. It's just not what their vision is. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily what they wanted or whatever it is. So you mm. just have to be sort of be open and also be strong and, and don't take things personally, I guess. Yeah. And also, true. yeah. And I think also being just uh, probably relates to that last point, but I think that I'm a flexible person and adaptable. So I can, when things do change, you have to be ready to roll with the punches. Yeah, you know, you can't kick up a stink if you don't like the idea of something. It's kind of like, it's not going to go down well with anybody. So yeah, you have to be flexible and and I think just focused really, just, you know, being on when you're on set, you're on. And yeah, I guess that probably comes back to being passionate about it again. You know, if you love what you do, then you want to do it well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think from working with you and watching you work your professional ethics are pretty up there so I would like to know I guess what professional ethics really resonate with you okay well I think the things that like resonate with me and that are important to me in this business are definitely Mm -hmm. punctuality you know Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as being five or ten minutes late for work in the film industry it's like you know, your start time is your start time and everything is down to the minute. You know, we provide our makeup times and essentially you need to be done within that time. Otherwise, people are going to be asking questions, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to the hairdressing days, you know, the salon days, everything is on the minute to appointments. You know, you're working on a 30 minute appointment or a 45 minute appointment and that's that, you know. So you have to know that you can get the job done within that time. So, yeah. But yeah, so time is uh, very important. I think integrity, I think reliability. If that's an ethic, I'm not sure. But yeah, I think um, reliability. I think so. Um, And I think using one's initiative, having good common sense is kind of quite important. Mm. And I think having good stamina. I mean, that's probably definitely not an ethic, but I think it's something that's important in our business. Yeah. Because the hours are long and you're standing all day and (laughs) all those sorts of things. Mm. And I would think, I'd say lastly, something that's really important to me is you know being authentic I just think being a good human being and being kind I think that those things are really important to me yeah yeah I think they can um get you a long way in life it's good yes yes and it just keeps you happier in your job when you're being nice and people are being nice to you and it's a nice environment and you're working long hours and Mm. you just are happier that's exactly right. And we work so closely, you know, when you are, as you say, you know, if you're on the team, if you're on the main team and you're working in a trailer of, you know, it could, there could be five of you, it's like these people, are, you know, these are your teammates and we all, you know, it's human nature to have frustrations and things and, you know, when you're working in such close proximity, but at the end of the day, we're all in it together. Yeah. And everyone's got their own circumstances and, you know, people do get stressed and tired at times, but at the end of the day, we all need to be there to look after one another and, and have a good time, you know? Yeah. It's a true. fun job. And I will say that I've spent, what, like a two and a half years in a trailer with you and yes. you were lovely the whole time. So, oh, thanks. You know. <laughs> I'm sure I drove you insane no, at times as no. I do drive everybody. No, I think we had, a great, <laughs> we had a great team on that trailer. That was good times. It was a lot we of did. fun. No. A lot was, of fun. It was awesome. Yeah. Now, I'm just wondering if there's one piece of advice that you received in the past that really stuck with you, like while you were coming up and learning in the industry. Oh, my God. I think that it might be going back to Peter King's famous words, which I have never forgotten, which were just, you know, on my first day on set. Just, just I think you might have said, Dolly, just make it work. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe that would be my piece of advice that has just stuck with me forever. Just make it work, you know, just got to figure it out. You know, like we're all there for a reason, figure it out. And, you know, there's always an amazing team of people around us and don't be scared to ask for help. Like we can't all do everything. You know what I mean? Perfectly. Like everyone, (laughs) like I think that's the thing. It's just being true to yourself and being open to saying to someone, oh, you know, this is not working. Has anyone else got any ideas? Because that's when you learn. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best thing for all of us is that's how we grow is by learning from other people. So, yeah. Absolutely. Hey, now I want to know what is your one tool or product that you would not want to work without? I know there's many, but you've got to choose one. (laughs) Well, I'm going to break it down. I'm going to go for hair. I'm going to have a hair and a makeup. Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So (laughs) I'm going to say... 
For hair, I'm going to strip it right back to basics. Nothing fancy, nothing fancy. For hair, it's going to be my Goldilocks tail comb. You know, the dark red sort of maroni colored tail comb by Crest. That by Crest, is yes. my one thing that I cannot be without. I just can't. For hair, you know, you always need a tail comb. And there's no better tail comb in the world as far as I'm concerned. They're so good, that one. No, I agree. You know, I grew up my whole hairdressing career using those, you know, foiling and colouring hair and then into film. We're just working with anyone's, you know, natural hair, putting in part lines, working with wigs, you know, lifting the hair off the root. Whatever it is, that tail comb is an absolute winner. And then it's my go-to. And then I think for makeup, I know there's always a couple in my standby bag, a couple, I should say my standby belt, a couple in my pocket, you know, they're <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere, you know, at my station. I just always have to have a lot of them. And then for makeup, I think, again, just going back to something really simple and basic, but I'm going to say my Bobbi Brown concealer, corrector, and foundation palette. You know that foundation palette. It's just a it's a really yeah. good staple, and it kind of covers such an array of colors um, and skin tones and everything. So the correctors in there, those best under-eye correctors, I just think are so phenomenal. It's a really great base, you know, to, to knock out darkness under the eyes and things like that. Yeah, I just think that's a really excellent palette to have. You know, if you have that, wherever you go, if you kind of, you know, thrown and, you know, here's another couple of people, can you sort something out on her or her? You know, it's kind of like your bases are all covered within that palette. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. I think I, I, I 100% agree with you with the tail comb. I was thinking mm. about this question the other day and I was, I was like, I should have an answer for this. But Mine would probably be my tail comb and a hairspray. And a hairspray. Yes, absolutely. And a hairspray. I just yeah. wouldn't want to be without hairspray. No, I would die without hairspray. my hairspray. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I we use die. hairspray all the time, but it's just, oh my God, take my hairspray away from me. Ah! I know. It's a disaster. That's ridiculous. Disaster. <laughs> well, thanks, Georgia. I loved catching up with you. Oh, thanks, JL. That was great. And yeah, I hope that you've got everything you needed from me. Little stories. For links to see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Dots Podcast or our website, thelastdotspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.